Thank you, and welcome to your North Carolina Court of Appeals. My name is Chris Dill, and I'll be presiding today. To my right is Judge Toby Hampson. To my left is Judge Michael Stadding. And we have one case on the calendar. It's the state of North Carolina versus coffee. And so if the appellant, if you want to reserve some time for rebuttal, you know, let me know. We'll, you can watch the clock, but I'll keep it up here, too. Yes, Your Honor, thank you. So if you're ready to proceed, you can, you can go ahead. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court, I'm Elliot Abrams with the law firm Cheshire Parker Schneider here in Raleigh and we represent the appellant Chad Coffey. If I may uh, reserve seven minutes for rebuttal, please. Okay. Your honors, with our vagueness challenge, what we are asking this court to do is what every court that we have found in the country, including the federal court, has done when faced with a similar vagueness challenge to similar laws. That is either strike it down as unconstitutionally vague or provide an objective standard that provides a limiting construction for such an offense. But you're asking us to strike down common law obstruction of justice. That is our first uh, request, Your Honor, and we've briefed that issue, we think, substantially. We think the issue that um, I'd like to start with, if I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions on that, uh, request that Your Honors find that common law obstruction of justice is not an offense. Um, we think that's relatively straightforward, and the meaty issue there is whether this court can reach that issue. We think it can. Um, as to the issue of vagueness, we have a, this is a question that's never been presented to the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court. That issue, there's no dispute this court can reach that issue, and this court should reach that issue. At page 12 of its brief, the state proposes the following standard to define common law obstruction of justice. That is, whether conduct interfered with the fair or proper administration of the laws. And on that issue, the question before this court is whether that is an objective standard that can be applied uniformly throughout the state at all levels of the criminal justice system. Whether conduct undermined the fair or proper administration of the law is an opinion. It's not a fact. It's a question that asks juries to answer an opinion. Juries are not finders of opinion, they're finders of fact. And don't they, don't they have opinion whether something is negligent or not? You think this was reasonable or not? Aren't juries being asked to do that all the time? They are asked to do that all, all the time in very limited context when applying uh, objective standards such as the standard of care. And so that's why we have so many protections. For example, in the medical malpractice space, you have to go find a doctor who says that this fell below the standard of care before you can even plead the case. And so in, in limited circumstances, like in, for example, self-defense, was it reasonably necessary to use the force? Really what that means is did you have to, did you need to do it or not? That's a question that's sufficiently cabined that a jury can answer it. Here, it's just was it fair or proper administration of the laws? The state can't even define the offense without using terms that are necessarily subjective. And this is incredibly important because it applies not just at trials, it applies at the uh, probable cause phase to go get a search warrant to search people's homes. 
to take people's cell phones and go through them. If there is probable cause, which is a very low standard according to the U.S. Supreme Court, to believe that the fair or proper administration of the laws has been undermined in any way, a police officer can go into your home and try to find evidence of that. And it doesn't just apply at that stage or in the criminal process. This is also a cause of action. Any lawyer could plead a case that could, that could overcome 12b-6 if the question is, could a reasonable jury determine that the conduct in question undermined the fair or proper administration of the laws? In 1913, in the McCracken case, our Supreme Court discussed how a person's sense of justice is an individualized opinion. And so the state doesn't propose a limiting construction, but there are limiting constructions this court can apply. And the main one we submit is Blackstone's 22 offenses, and I'll talk about the number of cases throughout the United States that have relied on that as the limiting construction. But I just want to pause for a second and say, what if we took this seriously? What if we took the state seriously? That any undermining the fair and justice, fair and proper administration of the laws was a crime. Well, if you have a traffic ticket and you plead it down to improper equipment, Everybody knows there's no improper equipment. It happens all the time. People are coming into court on both sides and saying, Judge, this person is responsible for the offense of improper equipment. No, they're not. Does that undermine the fair and proper administration of the laws? Could a reasonable jury believe that to be the case? Could we bring charges against every single person on every side of that particular agreement in court? Under this standard, yes. So if we take that standard seriously, we get at all sorts of things that are necessary in our system. So why is that not more sort of just instructional error, or sort of just a, a, an error in terms of just the definitions that are given to a jury, the parameters, the, the guideposts given to a jury by the jury instructions? Because well, it, it very well could be structural error to say there's an offense that basically asks the jury an opinion. I don't know of a case that establishes that, but I think it's far beyond a jury instruction because we go all the way back to the beginning of the case. The person is charged and put in jail based on a person's reasonable, uh, one law enforcement officer's reasonable belief that the fair and proper administration of the laws has been undermined in any way. So we don't just, we shouldn't just deal with this at the jury instruction phase. We have to go back and say, and that's really the purpose of the non-delegation prong of the uh, unconstitutional vagueness test. There's two prongs. There's, does it provide fair warning to people of what can be criminalized, sort of a, a floor, and then does it cabin the enforcement of it? That's a ceiling. The cabining of the enforcement is where you have to say, is there a limiting principle that's objective that says, if you've done these things, you violated the law, and if you've, done, if you've done something else, and there has to be an objective line. Here, there's really no objective line because the test is an opinion. So how, how do we, as the intermediate state appellate court, I mean, what authority do we have to take a common offense that's been recognized by our state Supreme Court you know, whether viewed through, uh, you know, have we recognized this or not lens or through the facial constitutionality lens. How, how, what authority do we have as, as an intermediate appellate court 
to, to say, no, Supreme Court, you're wrong. There isn't that, that offense is, is completely unconstitutional and, and vague and, and void. Uh, you, you have, this is sort of a simple answer, but you have the constitutions of the United States and of North Carolina, um, and you have the fact that the, in Kivet, and in none of the cases following Kivet, did the Supreme Court ever address this vagueness challenge. It's never been addressed. And so I would submit not only do you have the authority, but you have the obligation to go and look with that lens, which is a very different lens than everyone else has looked at. Everyone else has said, okay, the Supreme Court said it's really broad. Does this conduct meet it? That's a completely different test than is there an objective limiting principle? And so what the state spent its time doing is saying, everyone's on notice that if you do something wrong and it impacts the government, it's a crime. That's the fair warning prong of the vagueness uh, test. But the Supreme Court and Colander said that the more important aspect of the vagueness test is the non-delegation prong. And our Supreme Court and uh, every court in the country recognizes that making the law is a legislative obligation. And if you just say to the police officers on the street, we want you to decide whether this subjective test has been met as you're trying to enforce the law. The police don't want that power. The FOP has told this court, we don't want to stand in the shoes of, legislature, of the legislature. That's in their brief. And, and that's a really important fact that the, the fraternal order of the police is saying, we don't want to have to have that discretion. We need to be given clear guidance, and this offense does not. Well, I guess um, the argument in this case is the legislator has spoken. They passed GS 4-1 that says the common law of England as of 1776 is the law of the state, and since it was a crime under the common law of England in 1776, they have spoken. So why isn't that not enough, or, or, you want to turn to your, or do you want to argue why you don't think it violates the common law of England, or it violates 4-1? Yes, Your Honor. So as to that, the, um, the state appears to agree that there is a source for us to look to as to what the common law was. That's Blackstone. What this, when you, when you try to find this offense in, in the common law or any common law precedent, it's not there. It's just not. It's what it is, very simply, is the title of a chapter in Blackstone that lists 22 separate offenses. And those 22 offenses are sort of basic things, but none of them apply to this conduct. In fact, what, what about what about even the? I mean, one of the 22 is is negligence in, in public office. So, certainly, and there's our legislature has passed a misdemeanor related to that. And one of the things that's at issue here is there's a lot of potential offenses that could have applied that have specific uh, guidance for the trial jury that have specific guidance for the trial judge and frankly most of those are misdemeanors if not all of them and so what's happened here is the there are things that could have applied but the state just said we just want to use this really broad rubric and we want to have the trial jury not actually answer the substantive key questions in the case and that's what we've talked about with the jury instructions but what You'll see if you review the record on throughout the pretrial case, the, and this is switching over to the, to the trial instruction argument, but it also informs this argument that it's unconstitutionally vague 
and that this is not an offense at common law because what the, what the uh, state was allowed to do is say, don't dismiss our case because we're going to prove two key things. We're going to prove that this officer made false records that were submitted to the commission in Raleigh. We're going to prove that. And we're going to prove that in reliance on those records, two officers, two sworn law enforcement officers were uh, improperly allowed to maintain their law enforcement certification. So they say that um, throughout their pretrial briefing at record 197, 198, 204, and even in, even in their brief at page 21, they describe the essence of the offense as falsifying in-service records so that two Granville County Sheriff's deputies could maintain their law enforcement certifications. And so they're saying there's a cause, false records submitted to the commission, and in effect, the actual obstruction of justice, these two guys improperly maintain their law enforcement certifications. We disproved that at trial. This man was acquitted of allowing these guys to improperly maintain their law enforcement certifications. That was the theory underlying the obtaining property by false pretense charge. Isn't that just an inconsistent verdict argument? It's, it's not that because the reason the jury was allowed to reach its verdict was because it wasn't limited to those specific things. Instead, the jury was asked, did these false records obstruct justice, full stop? And we have no idea what their sense of justice was. They were asked an opinion. And if you go into court in Wake County and say, this law enforcement officer lied, and you say that over and over again, you're likely, and you say, does a law enforcement officer lying obstruct justice on anything? Now, mind you, these were personnel records. They were not submitted to the commission. They were put into a file that never left Granville County. And so they didn't have the effect. And so as to the jury instruction error, this was error because it was, there was no actual effect that the state proved. So that kind of goes, to, to, to what I kind of maybe see as a, as a threshold question here, and you've mentioned this in relation to the other, ca other cases dealing with this issue. And the fundamental question is, you know, does the conduct uh, as alleged in the indictment or, or as described in the jury instructions even arise to the offense? Does it even, does it even constitute obstruction of justice? Which I understand is, is, is part of your argument as it relates to the indictment. But if we, if we were to decide in your favor on that issue, we wouldn't need to reach the constitutional question. That's right. And, and I think... So I guess then the question becomes, does the conduct here <laughs> arise to the, to the level of the offense, and, and why is alleged that it doesn't? It does not because there's a number of different ways to look at this. One way is to say the, the common law is defined. We know where to look. It's Blackstone. We look at the 22 offenses in Blackstone. It doesn't. There is no offense set out in those 22 offenses that matches the offense here. And so it's not uh, common law obstruction of justice. There is, there, but it, but it, is, it might be a common law crime because there's other common law crimes that they might malfeasance or malpractice in office or whatever. I mean, if you, if you hold an office of trust and whatever, and there's a lot of cases around the country that say a deputy sheriff can be considered that when they carry out their duties. And he falsified a report. So it might be that crime, and, and so perhaps they alleged the elements of that. I'm not saying they did, but they just called it the wrong thing. But go ahead. I mean, I'm just. 
thinking out loud about that. When specifically as to that issue, Your Honor, we have um, the Thomas case out of Michigan that we relied on pretty heavily in our brief. And that you had a law enforcement officer who they found filed a false police who had a police report, not a training record or an educational right. record, but a police report. It was false. There's no dispute about that. The Michigan Supreme Court said that's not common law obstruction of justice. We've gone, we've looked at the common law. That's not obstruction of justice, which is an interesting thing if what we're relying on alone is the common law. But we have all these statutes. So it's not that we need the common law. It's that the state wants to use the common law. I would submit to felonized conduct that would otherwise Is there a statute? There's statutes that say that DMV employees can't file false things about their driver's license. There's a statute that says a sheriff can't file a false thing dealing with revenue. I've seen that. I couldn't. Is there any statute that, that specifically, like is there a fraud statute or anything that criminalizes this behavior? There is a false educational record statute um, that I've written down. It's, I think it's 14-114.2. It's a misdemeanor um, that maybe could apply if the jury was asked all the questions that would be required to establish that offense. And, and really, you get to that issue that we prepared for a trial based on very specific things, but because the offense is so broad and standardless, the state was allowed to change its theory and then just go to the jury and say, false records, false records, police officer, bad equals obstruction of justice. And that's just not how this can work. We can't defend a crime, an, an allegation of a crime, unless we can set up what the elements are and we can defend them. And we did that based on what the state said they would prove. And they, we, we defended those. And then the state was allowed, they were relieved of their burden of proving the actual obstruction of justice that was charged, which was that these uh, men were able to improperly maintain their law enforcement certifications. We proved that at record, or at transcript page 292, where the director of the commission said, we would never take the law enforcement certification of a sheriff. We lack the power to do so. The director of the commission said, we cannot take this person's uh, law enforcement certification. And so what they charged was impossible. But when the jury got the case, it wasn't about law enforcement certifications anymore. The only jury instruction they received was, did the false training records obstruct justice? And, and they were just, that's an opinion because a person, and there was, we asked for definitions. We asked for limiting constructions. We asked for specific definitions. We said he would have to know that there would be an investigation and he was intentionally trying to undermine that investigation. Well, that's the question I'm going to ask the state. So, Brendale Wilkins, he was the elected sheriff. Is that correct? That's correct. And the elected sheriff has no obligation to be certified by the North Carolina Sheriff's Education. They're exempt from that because they're constitutional officers. That's right. right. Yes, Your Honor. So, I think your argument, at least with respect to that indictment, because they indicted him and listed him as a sheriff, is that you could have just lied about his birthday. So what? Because he doesn't need the certification, so how could it possibly obstruct justice? Because he still, whether he passes that stuff or not, still has the right to go arrest people, has the right to do all this other stuff. I didn't really see that in your brief, but it's in the indictment, so I, it, that just kind of struck me that I don't see how, I mean, and I'm going to ask the state that, but it sounds like that's what your argument is. If, if he's the sheriff, he doesn't need this stuff, so what difference does it make if he's certified? Because 
not having the certification doesn't limit what he can do because he's an elected sheriff. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. So he's not prevented from doing anything whether he has a certification or not. That's correct. And the, and the director of the commission said we will not take his certification. So I don't say that was argued necessary, but it's in the indictment. And so does it allege a crime to say that you lied about the because it calls him the sheriff. And so that would so, so it sounds like it's sort of what you were trying to argue, at least with respect to absolutely. And and specifically, it if the jury was instructed on what was charged, they couldn't have found it to be the case. And so that's why we talked about the jury instruction error. They were relieved of their burden of proving what they charged. And it's not just true for the sheriff, but there is a statute that says that the sheriff has the uh, sole authority to supervise their deputies. And so the sheriff can say, look, I'm a constitutional officer. You're a commission that gives me uh, suggestions about who I should employ, but I've made this decision. Now, is that an attractive argument for the jury? Probably not. Is it a legal truth? I believe so. And, and what we have here is that because the statute is so standardless and just asks an opinion of the jury, the trial judge was able to, to, set, to relieve the state of its burden on those issues. And we have the El Cohen grocery case, which is from the 1950s, where the, the United States Supreme Court looked at a statute that said, if you willfully charge an unjust or unreasonable rate for a necessary good, that's a crime. The Supreme Court said, we don't even need to go into any elaboration about this. You can't have a statute that turns on whether people think something is unjust. That's not a stand, an objective standard. So that's the Elko and Grocery case. You have the Thomas case from the Michigan Supreme Court where they say, if we didn't limit this to Blackstone's 22 separate offenses, in, in footnote three, they're talking about how this would probably render this offense unconstitutionally vague. You have the triplet case cited at the ACLU's brief at 10 and 11, where they say that we have to limit the, this offense because otherwise it's unconstitutionally vague. You have Maldonado in Virginia from 2019, where they say that lying to a police officer is not common law obstruction of justice because it's not one of the 22 separate offenses in Blackstone. So I want to make sure I get to this before you get into your rebuttal time. I want to give you an opportunity to, to sort of distinguish or talk about uh, state v. right. And, and how it applies to this case, because you know there we you do have you know common law obstruction of justice related to the filing of a false uh, campaign finance report in that case. Yes, Your Honor. So as to State v. Right, the first thing I'd say is there was not a vagueness challenge, and that's really important. There was no vagueness challenge there, and so that was not at issue. On the facts of Right, when we look at the opinion, it says, when a person deliberately tries to thwart an adverse party's ability to investigate and seek a legal remedy, you have obstruction of justice. What that means is, if you are a doctor and you've committed malpractice and you create a false record for the, sole, for the specific purpose of making sure that when the patient sues you, it's going to be unsuccessful, you're doing the false record in view of the future litigation. And so it's the necessity that you are actually intending to make sure that nobody can bring a successful case in court against you, which what Wright did was a crime. And if he had, fall, if he had filled out a correct form, what he did was he spent his campaign funds on, his, on himself. If he filled out a correct form, by statute, the State Board of Elections has the duty to investigate the correctness of those forms, and if it finds criminal activity, it has a duty to report them to a local law enforcement or to a local prosecutor. And so what he did is what they said he did, deliberately undermine the ability of the State Board of Elections 
and the state in general to bring a criminal case against him. He knew what he was doing was going to undermine the ability for him to get either sued or, or prosecuted. And I won't let this eat into your time, but the Sheriff's Education Training Division has the authority to sue somebody and get an injunction if they find that a deputy's out there is not properly certified and out there doing deputy things. And so it's, couldn't it be held as analogous? If I filed a false report, they wouldn't know to go to investigate me because I don't want them to. If I, so if, if they had filed a true report in your case and these people had gone out and done deputy things, they would have, they have, a, they, it, it was to stop that, that action. There is an action that they can file under that, whatever that statute is, they can go out there and prevent these deputies and get, go get an injunction against them. Yes, Your Honor, but the, the difference here is that there was, the, over our objection, the state was not required to prove that he intended to obstruct that investigation. And the record that was submitted to the commission was submitted by the sheriff himself. The record that Mr. Coffey filled out was a personnel record in a file that they never proved left the file or that anyone ever looked at. He said, the sheriff said, I would have fired him if he didn't do it. He said, I did it to keep my job. And they, the jury was never asked and never said that he did it to obstruct in, an investigation that would end up in court. And that distinguishes this case from Wright. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good morning, Your Honors, or afternoon, my apologies. And may it please the court, my name is Caden Hayes. I'm with the North Carolina Department of Justice, and I'm representing the state in this matter. Your Honors, starting in 2013 and continuing on for over half a decade, the defendant in this case filed false firearm certification reports with the North Carolina Sheriff's Education and Training Standards, stating that then Sheriff Wilkins and his Chief Deputy Boyd. So, what, so that sounds different than, than, what we heard before. I, I, my understanding was these were not the actual certifications filed with the Training and Standards Division. No, my understanding is these were the certifications. They were filed, I believe, by his secretary and not him directly, but his secretary was an agent. Um, and, and it is those charge or those actions that constituted the charges that uh, the defendant here was uh, ultimately convicted of. Has anybody sent the exhibits up from, from the trial court? I know it was stipulated to, but I don't know if they ever uh, actually got sent up. I'm not sure, Your Honor. I can, I'm more than happy to look into that and report to the court afterward. Um, but Your Honors, I, I, there were a number of issues contained within the briefing before this court. Uh, defendant focuses mainly on the uh, Boyd for Vagueness discussion, so I'm going to spend most of my time there unless this uh, court has other questions. Well, Actually, my first question is how, how is there obstruction with respect to the sheriff that does not need the certification? So where is there, where is there a, an obstruction? Because the sheriff has the right to do anything that a deputy can do, whether he's certified or not. So I'm just trying to figure out what's the harm. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's a good thing to lie, but how is it an obstruction of justice? Your Honor, it's, uh, the sheriff is not above the law, neither the deputies. I'm not saying it's not a crime, but how's this, how, did, how did Mr. Coffey obstruct justice by filing a, a report that was unnecessary, it was superfluous anyway, he didn't need, he didn't need it. So what, how, explain to me how justice was obstructed. Because I, I would, I mean, what's the theory how justice was obstructed just by lying on a report unless there was some process or something about the administration of justice that was thwarted? And, he could still do everything he was entitled to do, whether he had the certification or not. So with respect to the sheriff, how is, how is justice obstructed? I'm kind of lost on it. 
Uh, well, Judge Dillon, the sheriff elected to maintain his certification of law enforcement status. You are completely right that he did not have to do that, but he decided to, and as a consequence, he has to maintain the same standards as any of the other deputies in his office. As a matter of just generally the sheriff, the, the principle of the, the sheriff is not above the law, neither are his deputies. And so... So if it was a crime to lie about it, I get it, but it, that's not the charge. The charge is justice was obstructed. So. So he did, okay, he lied about it, that's fine, but how is that a crime, how is it a crime, where's the obstruction of justice part, because that's what he, that's what Mr. Coffey was charged with, that, that in him lying, by lying he obstructed justice, not that he just simply lied, you got to prove that it was, I get the deceit and the def, intent to defraud and that kind of stuff. Well, that's another question, intent to defraud, how was the training people defrauded, because how did they rely on it, because that's one of the elements for the felonies, you got to have a defraud, the intent to defraud. And I don't see how they relied on it because it wasn't required. So where was the, where was the, uh, where was the reliance? By the sheriff trainings and standard commissions. Yeah, because that, that was the theory. Is at least to get it to a felony, is you got to have deceit, which just simply means a lie, which you have that. But you also have the intent to defraud, which is separate than deceit. And the intent to defraud means that you're doing something so they'll rely on it. But there was nothing to rely on because he didn't need it anyway. It, it, I mean, there was nothing that I can see. So. Where's the intent to defraud? So, I mean, that would at least knock those back down to misdemeanors if you can't, if, if I don't see that anywhere, and then I don't even see where the obstruction is either. That's where I'm struggling, at least with the sheriff. Well, Your Honor, I think as a preliminary point, it sounds like you're discussing the sufficiency of the evidence. Which is no, I'm discussing the indictment. He was sure. indicted, and he's listed as the sheriff. So if you call him the sheriff, I can go look at the law, and the law says a sheriff is not required to have the certification. I'm just looking at the law. I'm not looking at any facts. It's like, you know, that 17-year-old entered a contract. Well, somebody's got to be statutory rape and a person's 20. Well, you've already listed the fact that knocks it out. So, I mean, you can just look at the indictment. So I'm just looking at the indictment that, that calls this guy the high sheriff. And so, therefore, I don't see how it applies or how there would be, you say, intent to defraud. But I don't see how they could be defrauded if he's the sheriff, if, it, if there's nothing to rely on. Well, Your Honor, again, I think there's an important distinction here between the sheriff and his powers as sheriff and his decision to maintain his certificate of law enforcement status or as a law enforcement officer. Surely it is unquestioned that he could still arrest and do the things that a sheriff, an elected sheriff, can do, but he elected to maintain the certification. And there are requirements that come with that. A, a sheriff cannot just disregard those rules just and then say, I'm the sheriff so I can do what I want. That, that's not how this works. He wanted this additional certificate. Okay, he then has to follow the same rules as everybody else, and he didn't. Uh, and I think this kind of gets to a little bit of the void for vagueness discussion in the sense of what is the definition of public justice? Uh, and as outlined in the state's brief, that is the Im impediment of the fair and just administration of laws. We well, well let's, let's stay on the indictment for a little bit, and it sure kind of yeah. bleeds over into the, some of the same, same concepts. But, you know, if obstruction of justice is defined as preventing, obstructing, impeding, or hindering public or legal justice, um, where in the indictment is it alleged that there was any action that prevented, obstructed, impeded, or hindered public or legal justice? Where, where, where do we find that in the indictments? Um, Your Honor, I would, it's the submission of these documents so as to maintain his law enforcement status. Again, it is, it is compliance with the law, particularly as a law enforcement officer who we as the public trust to maintain those laws. Um, and and uh, it is, is that reliance that I think Judge Dillon was getting at that they 
issued the certification. And I, I want to make a quick point. So, but it, don't we run a risk if we're, and maybe this goes to some of the, the vagueness and, and over breadth, but if, if simply filing a, a document in violation law that has incorrect information, don't we, don't we risk criminalizing mistakes, certainly at a, at a misdemeanor level, if somebody reports the wrong address to the, to the DMV, if uh, um, yeah, a, a law enforcement officer act, you know, mistakenly includes a fact in a search warrant affidavit that, that isn't, isn't correct. I mean, it just seems like we're, we're on the cusp of criminalizing a whole ton of, 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 of behavior here. Your Honor, it, the, a simple mistake of filing the wrong address, as, as you point out, would not qualify, in, in my opinion. Well, who gets to decide that, then, right? <laughs> well, Your Honor, it, it's, there's a willful requirement as part of even the misdemeanor common law obstruction of justice, which, to be clear, is a different offense than the one we have in front of us. I know there was some distinction in the brief um, trying to say that we should analyze this void for vagueness and, and all the other um, arguments under the lower misdemeanor, but this is a felony. It requires the additional scienter of with intent to deceive and defraud, as Judge Dillon was pointing out. And so even, let's just say for the sake of argument, that a mistake like that could give rise to misdemeanor common law obstruction of justice. That's not before this court really to decide. It is felony common law obstruction of justice. And most certainly a mistake of address would not qualify for felony common law obstruction of justice without any other facts. And I think the, the most powerful part of this is, and a lot of defendants' argument for today is kind of, it runs in the face of our Supreme Court's decision in Kibbit where it said obstruction of justice is a common law offense in the state of North Carolina. It is hard not to read that in any other way than it is read. And as this court put out in Rankin, which is uh, as discussed in the memorandum of additional authority filed by the state, a uh, dicta, which defendant seems to argue in his, uh, in saying that this has never been presented and argued in that way, um, is anything, uh, is, um, sorry, let me pull it up, but it's, dicta is the exclusion of anything that was necessary to the decision. And so if it was not necessary to the decision, it's dicta. For the reading of all of this case law, for something so foundational as void for vagueness, for the Supreme Court, our Supreme Court, and for this court in right to say that, um, common law obstruction of justice encompasses these certain crimes, and it's a very broad concept that is simultaneously saying, yeah, it's broad, but it's not so broad as to be void for vagueness. It, it, is, it is the next step. And Rankin made particularly clear, because in Rankin, the issue was what is an essential element. And the majority of this court found that it was bound by prior holdings, but in that previous case, the essential elements of the crime, the parties hadn't briefed that in that particular case. But still, in Rankin, this court said it was bound by that previous decision because it was necessary for the decision. And same too with Kivett, same too with Wright. And I, and I want to get out, in particular with Wright, um, there was some discussion, I think Judge Dillon, you hit on this too, about what is the harm here. And I want to be clear about Wright. Wright said in the, uh, this court that the defendant was trying to create a false finance chart to deceive anyone seeking review of his conduct. And uh, separately, this court said that would include public exposure. This court said that public exposure by deliberately falsifying records and sending them to the State Board of Election, you have immunized yourself or attempted to immunize yourself from public exposure. So we're not so limited to the realm of, of um, certification when the sheriff can otherwise uh, 
perform the arrest as normal. It's, that's not how our courts have interpreted for the last 40 years obstruction of justice. It is simply the obstruction of justice and the uh, trial court in this case properly instructed the jury on that matter. Um, and, and on that note, I, I wanna quickly point out there's been some hay about the differing verdict, shall we say. I think it is inappropriate for anyone at this level who is not in the jury to comment as to why the jury acquitted the defendant in this case of those obtaining property by false pretenses. Crime. Now, I will disagree with that. I, but this is where I've kind of I'm stuck, and I want you to help me. Sure. It's got to be a crime, and I haven't heard anybody tell me where the General Assembly has passed any statute criminalizing this behavior except 4-1 that says if it was a crime in England in 1776. I don't know where in this, and, and I haven't seen a case from England from before 1776 or any of these 22 things that, 22 categories in, in Blackstones that talked about this behavior. There is a common law crime in England called corrupt, and, and which our courts have recognized, corruption, misconduct in office, which is corrupt behavior, exercising duties under color of, of, of office, which perhaps Mr. Coffey had this authority under color of office that he was a certifier and he didn't do it right, he was corrupt. The problem though is your indictment doesn't allege what his, what his office is or what his, what, what his duty is. And so the, the indictment may fail for that because every case I can find around the country about that talks about you got to at least allege what the duty is and you just said the defendant did this stuff but didn't say he had a duty and what, what his title was, which, you know, that might be an indictment fail. But you weren't going under that theory. You said you were going under the obstruction of justice theory. So I'm trying to figure out which of those 22 or is there any case from England from the 1700s or whatever you can point to that says that it meant to cover when you file a false report like this? I think um, the, the 22, the Blackstone 22, is too narrow of a view. Uh, again, our, our Supreme Court didn't say in Kivet, oh, well, the, the conduct in Kivet fell within the 22 contained within Blackstone. Um, I mean, the allegations in but Kivet. But didn't it say in an earlier case that it had to? I thought somebody cited a case that said it had to be one of those um, but maybe I'm wrong, but go ahead. There are some Michigan cases, I believe, that may have adopted that, but no North Carolina binding precedent that I have found has said that the 22 in Blackstone is the end-all, be-all of a common law obstruction of justice. Instead, the Supreme Court said that there are three elements. It is the willfully um, obstructing justice, and in this particular case, with intent to deceive and defraud. Um, so in terms of the charging decision, I think that that's the sole prerogative of the DA, whether they decide to uh, charge him with obstruction of justice or corruption of office, as, as Judge Dillon, you, you pointed out. Um, and so, uh, and again, though, I, I think Kivet here explains and answers many of the questions that we have before us. And I think Wright then does a really good job of emphasizing that this specific conduct, filing false reports, in that case it was elections reports, but in this case it's firearm certification, can give rise to an obstruction of justice charge because you are violating um, the public justice. And I want to. Um, so what was the what was being obstructed? I'm trying to understand. Was it the fact that these guys were allowed to go out and continue to be to do deputy things and whatever? Is that what? It, I mean, what, what was it? That, what was the obstruction? Just merely lying because you could lie, but if it doesn't, you still got to obstruct justice. Deceit. That's all fine. That's one element. What's the? I'm just trying to understand. What's the nature of the obstruction part? It's the fair administration of laws. It's the general idea that we are not above the law, not myself, not the elected sheriff, not the elected DA, not anybody. So if a sheriff goes and steals a car, he's guilty of 
obstruction of justice because he's not above. No, he's guilty of stealing a car. I'm just he's been charged with this crime. What's the obstruction of justice? Is what I'm trying to understand. Just more than just he's above the law. Yeah, sheriffs can't break the law. If they break the law, they get charged with whatever that law is. They don't, you don't pile on obstruction of justice on top of it to prove that he's a, he's not above the law unless he's obstructing judge, justice like by you know impen, you know impeding an investigation or something like that. That's obstruction. So what? That's a separate element. I'm just trying to understand what that element is besides the fact that he just lied. Well, I want to clarify that the, the Sheriff Wilkins was not, this is not the defendant in this case. So in your example of him stealing a car, most certainly he would be guilty of so stealing. So how is that. coffee obstructing justice, I guess is my question. How is this your coffee? Sure, Your Honor. He it, lied, so how is justice, I mean, you could lie about a lot of things, but not every lie impedes an investigation or obstructs justice. So, and I'm not saying there's not an answer. I'm just wondering what you, what you, how you would say he obstructed justice. Yeah, certainly you can lie, and that won't give, not necessarily give cause for an obstruction of justice in a vacuum. However, in this context, he lied for the purpose of ensuring that his fellow deputy and sheriff would maintain their law enforcement certification. It's this. And I guess the question, though, becomes is how or why is that obstruction of justice specifically? How is, how is that? How does that meet this definition? Well, well Your Honor, the obstruction of justice um, in regards to 12 NCAC, the Administrative Code 10B, um, 01213 through 15, details the steps that a deputy or otherwise certified law enforcement officer must go through in order to maintain their status. That is a law. I mean, it's administrative law, but it's a law nonetheless. As a consequence, if you have a third party, in this case, the defendant, ensuring and attempting to hide the fact that they are not following this standard, you have an obstruction of justice charge, particularly in this case, where we are talking about deputies and sheriffs, the people who uphold the law for the country, or for, for at least the state. Um, indeed, even the defendant on the stand admitted that he knew he did wrong. There is an obstruction of justice if you ensure that someone else can commit a crime or any other violation of law. This is, it's, it's a very broad definition to be sure, but that doesn't mean that it is void for vagueness or falls prey. So his obstruction was he filled out a form which allowed other people to act as a deputy or whatever and do things they weren't allowed to do. Um, slightly, Your Honor, it is he obstructed justice and allowing them to maintain their law enforcement certification status and in violation of those administrative codes of, of 10B, 21, 20, or sorry, 0213, through 0215. That is the obstruction of justice in this case. There doesn't need to be a criminal investigation um, or stealing a car, for example, Your Honor. That, that's not necessary. This court in Wright made that clear. There was no pending investigation at the time that the defendant in Wright filed those false campaign reports. He did it, and then he got caught by a, uh, by a, by a private person, and he was charged with obstruction of justice. This is again. That's because the State Board of Elections has kind of an investigative role in in monitoring and auditing these these reports. You know, Wright talks about even the public's sort of investigatory role as it relates to campaign campaign finance reports. What's the investigative role here? I don't think that Wright stands for the proposition that there must be an investigative role. Um, there is cases cited Henry and Grant which talk about medical malpractice if a, if a defendant. Uh, in those particular cases, uh, alters medical charts to avoid a medical mal. But that's even that's for purposes of, of sort of hindering an investigation by you know lawyers in private practice trying to see if there's anything there for a med mal claim, right? I mean, I mean, I think at that point we've we've 
covered this offense. There is the sheriff's lost, uh, the sheriff's standard, uh, sorry, sheriff's education and training standards has an investigative role, as 0215 points out, that uh, the sheriff, or sorry, the, the standards, the commission can, as I think uh, Judge Hampson, you pointed out in the defendant's brief, they can investigate and sue for injunctive relief to prevent somebody from operating uh, with with uh, the this certification when they don't actually have it. And so, that's one. Let me, let me go ahead and answer this question. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to point out that the sheriff is an elected official. Um, by the same nature of right is an elected official or was an elected official. And so there is a legitimate interest in the public knowing whether he is uh, following and complying with the administrative standards set forth that he uh, wishes to maintain with the, the certified um, law enforcement standard. Okay. Um, so uh, void for vagueness. I, there is, this is not void for vagueness. A defendant was on uh, notice of this particular crime, most notably in rights, where this court espoused that you may fall to or you may be guilty of obstruction of justice if you file a false report, whether that be a campaign or, in this case, firearm certification reports. And so, um, and uh, turning first now to the um, kind of uh, jury instructions that I think defendant kind of hinted at. Uh, in his opening argument, the defendant, the trial court needs to instruct the jury on the essential elements of the crime. And in this particular case, it did. The defendant points to the word corruptly and other words, but that's not what precedent requires. The Supreme Court's been very clear um, about the three standards, or sorry, the three elements of the crime. And uh, as Judge Hampson, you pointed out in the very beginning, this court is not at liberty to revisit that firmly established precedent. Um, uh, Your Honors, I will, uh, at its core, the defendant here lied for over half a decade. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He did it at the behest of a sheriff for personal reasons, as he said on the stand, and his chief deputy. He thought that nothing would happen, but he lied. And as a consequence, he was charged, indicted, and convicted for common law obstruction of justice. This is a recognized crime in the state of North Carolina, especially since Kivett, and it has touchstones of, 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 of reasonableness, of objective standards. Um, and uh, for those reasons, I, I, I do, as a, sorry, as a final note, um, defendant made hay about the fact that there is a opinion that has to be rendered. But we let the jury make decisions about opinions very frequently. We allow them to decide what is reasonable. Um, and so the obstruction of justice, that's an, that is an instructional issue at best. And that's not present here. We have um, standards, the jury followed those standards, and the jury convicted the defendant, Your Honors. And unless this court has- Well, the, yeah. the jury- ahead, the, the, I had a question, but you go first. Um, well, I mean, the, the jury was, was, I mean, the, the instructions were, were pretty lean relatively speaking. And I mean, the, the, the jury was instructed that, you know, that they had to find first that the defendant obstructed justice by knowingly providing false and misleading information and training records. That's it. Then obstruction of justice uh, consists of any act that prevents, obstructs, impedes, or hinders public or legal justice. And I guess my question is what, you know, we, we rely on jury instructions to provide kind of guardrails, kind of, uh, you know, a roadmap for the jury, but also guardrails. Um, wh where are the guardrails in, in an instruction like that? I think, Your Honor, 
again, the, the jury instructions need only contain the essential elements of the crime and enough for the jury to be able to make these decisions. So, um, as Your Honor pointed out, it includes uh, impeding um, justice. I think that is a fairly common sense term. I think a good analogy. Well, how, how, well, how, how would a jury know how to define public justice? I think it falls into one of those camps that is, you kind of know it when you see it. I think we see that very frequently in the obscenity doctrine. Um, there's the very famous quote of, I know it when I see it. I by that same standard, we all have a general idea of what public justice is, and I don't think it differs that much. We have the um, Black's Law Dictionary of Justice that nicely encapsulates this, this general notion of what it is, but there is nothing that says that every single word of a uh, offense of an indictment needs to be defined with such hyper-specificity. We only need the jury to understand what the law is and how they should be applying it to the facts as they see them. Well, the indictments don't even say public justice, so. Well, the, the indictments, they, they, they say they obstruct justice, which I think is sufficient in that context, but. Um, Actually, they don't say, he, he said, it's a committed the, you know, the infamous yeah. crime of obstruction of justice by, and lists out these facts. It doesn't actually say I, well, obstructed justice, or it doesn't say hindered, impaired, impeded, whatever, justice. Well, sure, you're right. I think that the point of the indictment is different than the point of the jury instructions, sure. right? You know, it's, it's just a question of notice, um, mostly, and, and double jeopardy concerns, which in this case, no one's debating that he knew what was being charged of him. Um, I, I, Judge Dillon, I know you were. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll just have a hypothetical. Let's say I'm a deputy in Granville County, but I was injured on, you, first of all, you have to be recertified every year, is that correct? Yes, Your Honor. So let's say it's 2018, I was injured in late 2017. I'm kind of incapacitated. I, I, I'm inactive and I'm on leave, but Mr. Coffey certifies me to the education people, whatever, for that year, and I never do anything. I'm, I'm inactive for the whole year. Clearly, I think that's probably misconduct in office because you're, false, you're, you're falsifying a report. But is there any obstruction? Would you say there's any obstruction of justice there because there's nothing being impeded because I'm not doing anything? Would you say? Would you say that would not be obstruction justice, but, but, but merely would be maybe the other crime, the misconduct in office, or would you still say that would be if Mr. Coffey was to certify me, an inactive deputy for the entire year of 2018, that never does anything, I'm laying in a hospital bed or whatever, but he does it anyway, would that be obstruction of justice? And if so, why? And if not, would it just simply be misconduct in office? That would be based on that limited fact pattern of obstruction of justice, Your Honor. We have standards that people have to follow, and we can't just claim to be exempt from them in this case by being. Yeah, and, but I'm and, he's, and I'm saying he's guilty of misconduct. Not you can't falsify reports. But I'm just understanding wh where's the obstruction? Is what kind of justice is being impeded by just the fact that I'm just I've got in my wall a certificate that says that I've been certified for the year 2018? But I'm not doing anything. There's no, I'm not carrying out the duties of a deputy sheriff and not doing anything. So I'm trying to understand that element, how that is different. What makes that, what's the, I mean, I, I see that as an extra element just beyond just the fact that, you know, Mr. Coffey just lied. I mean, that would be certainly, it's always misconduct. You can't lie with force. I mean, but I'm just trying to understand why that would be, be, be obstruction. What, what is being, what is justice that's being impeded there? Well, Your Honor, it's the proper administration of law. I think um, this- So what law is not being probably, I'm in a hospital, so I'm not doing anything. Sure, Your Honor. I think uh, I, it sounds like from your questions before and indeed this one that there is, you're asking that, that they have to act on this certification in order for there to be of justice. That does sound like kind of 
what you're driving at. But that is incorrect, in my opinion. I think this is, there's obstruction of justice when you have affirmatively lied or you've gotten someone else to lie on your behalf so that you can maintain the certificate. You have allowed um, the violation of administrative law because in the case of, of the person's in the hospital, and maybe he can defend himself and say, I, I, he couldn't have certified, he's not gonna go out in the street anyway. But the, the operative question isn't whether he will then utilize that certificate on the wall. The question is, did he get that certificate on the wall without doing what he was supposed to? This is particularly important in the law enforcement context. We have people that go to jail on a law enforcement's word. And so we need to ensure that they are following the administrative codes, the various trainings they're supposed to that the uh, North Carolina Sheriff's and Education and Training Standards has put forward. And so, yes, that would be obstruction of justice, Your Honor. There is a certificate on the wall that he did not deserve to get or I guess in, in this case, Your Honor, you as, as the person in the hospital would not be deserving to get. You didn't perform how you were supposed to under the law. You don't get to then um, get someone else to lie for you. So if I lie about, if I lie about my certification that I've done all these hours as an appellate, ju appellate lawyer so I can get my nice little bar appellate thing, but I never go to court over it and I don't even advertise it, is that, I mean, that's certainly fraud and probably maybe a crime or enough that you could take away my license. But I'm just trying to understand why is that, what justice am I obstructing just because I have this certification on the wall? There's gotta be some, something about the justice system that's going on that, that's, that's being thwarted. I, I don't know, I'm just trying to think what that is. Well, one, Wright made clear that it doesn't need to be an obstruction of like the judicial system as we kind of understand it. But two, in the specific context of lawyers and attorney, or sorry, and police officers, they are intrinsically intertwined with the judicial system. And then three, you are in that scenario you just put out, operating by yourself. It is a crime, but it is uh, unlikely to be obstruction of justice in the sense of, uh, well, it According would be. To the bar that I've got the certification and they're gonna give me the certification. That's Correct, Your Honor. It is, again, you are impeding the proper administration of law in the state. No one gets to claim that they are above the law in this context. We cannot say that you are um, trying to get your appellate bar specialty or, or whatever those- Or I lie about my CLE hours. Sure, yeah, that is still, you are allowing the, you are, you are effectively evading the requirements set forth for you by the bar in that case, or in this case, the Sheriff's Education and Training Standards Commission. That's a law that you are avoiding by lying, and as a consequence, it can give rise to an obstruction of justice charge. It's a little unclear on that fact pattern whether it would be felony or misdemeanor. Um, I, I don't know if you have intent to deceive and defraud in that kind oh, of yeah. CLE. <laughs> well, then it, then it would. It is, this is, uh, this court has made clear that this is, it is a broad concept. It is designed to ensure that we are all equal in the eyes of the law, and as a consequence, in your hypo, uh, I believe, Your Honor, yes, it, it would be obstruction of justice to hide that from authorities, just as it was in right, and just as it was in this case. Uh, and so, Your Honors, unless you have any further questions, the, the trial court below did not err, and the state respectfully requests this court affirm. He Thank raised a good point about the, the intent to defraud. The, 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 what was defrauded was the fact that you get to have this nice certificate to hang on the wall. So that's, they obtained something. I know that I know that your client was found not guilty of, of obtaining property because he didn't obtain it. I guess he, he allowed somebody else to get it. But well, did, but did, Honor, he, did he lie in a way that 
they relied on and gave up something, which would have been the certificate that, the, that these deputies could hang on the wall. Well, we asked that the trial judge require the jury to find whether these men were able to maintain their law enforcement certifications because of this. The trial judge refused to do that because, with the state objecting to the jury answering that question. So we don't know what the jury found. The jury did not find that these men maintained their law enforcement certifications because of this. That comes up in two areas. We asked for the venue instruction specifically so we could show the fact that these records never went to the commission means that this man's lie didn't have any impact on the commission. We, we proved that, but the jury was never allowed to answer that question. That's a jury question. It's a fact question. The case law there, we cite in our brief, the U.S. Solicitor General's uh, uh, cert petition to the U.S. Supreme Court saying jury determinations of venue when there's a contested issue of fact are always jury questions because the jury is the finder of fact. In this case, we would know whether the jury found if these records went to the commission or not because the jury should have been asked that question. We asked for that instruction. They said no. The, the state says the obstruction of justice was that these men maintain their law enforcement certifications as a result of Mr. Coffey's conduct. That's exactly what we asked the jury to have to find. The trial judge said, I'm not instructing them on that. And at 292, the director of the commission said, we will never take this man's certifications. So that's contrary to what they're telling you. It's not that he won bit and because he applied for it, he had to keep it up. They said that the direct quote is, the com I said, or excuse me, we, the, Mr. Coffey's counsel said, the commission doesn't take any action against sheriffs whether they complete training or not. That's correct. So that's th this whole idea that the actual obstruction was that they maintain their law enforcement certifications improperly was not proven because of the so jury. If you don't do your training, does that mean you automatically need your certification or do they have to come after you and say, you need to update this? Because My understanding is that they. I don't actually know, but I do know that the sheriff can seek a waiver. And we have, what we're talking about here is the sheriff who they can't touch, the commission has no power over, can't revoke his certification, and his chief deputy who never goes into the field. We spent a lot of time talking about justice couldn't have been obstructed. This man doesn't carry a gun. He's never, he doesn't do anything related to that. He's an administrative officer. And so, you know, but the problem is the standard is so broad that it's just a question of opinion for the jury, right? Like we're sitting there arguing, Justice couldn't have been obstructed because this person doesn't do what you think of as law enforcement. He's an administrator that stays in the office. There's no jury instruction that says, well, to obstruct justice, you actually have to be in the field. That's just an argument, and we've got this free-floating thing because there's no standards to apply it. I want to talk about Wright for just a second. Wright was about a person who lied under oath. That is one of Blackstone's 22 offenses. It's the 16th offense in Blackstone. So Wright committed perjury. And in right, they say, when, as alleged here, a party deliberately destroys a record to subvert an adverse party's investigation of his right to seek a legal remedy, a claim for obstruction of justice arises. That's far more limited than every false document is an obstruction of justice. The, the state says we were on notice of what we were defending against, but then the state objected to the jury having to find that these folks improperly maintain their law enforcement certification. The jury had to find that under the state's own argument, and they objected to the jury finding that, and, and that renders the jury instructions invalid and requires a retrial. We would love the opportunity to try that case. We've proved that case we submit, but the jury wasn't, the state was relieved of its burden of having to prove what they charged 
because they said the actual obstruction is this caused these people to improperly maintain their law enforcement certifications. The trial judge didn't let the jury answer that question. That was the actual obstruction. The jury had to find that. It didn't. It also had to find that these documents were submitted to the commission. It didn't find that either. At 621, the sheriff talks about how this works. The sheriff actually fills out a roster and checks a box about whether they've completed all, the all of the trainings. The records we're talking about is a form that's a personnel record that never left Granville County. There's a dispute about that fact. Where do we go to look for disputes? We see if the jury answered it. Because they didn't submit venue to the jury, the jury never answered that question. Are you saying that if, if, if they had a finding that these people were allowed to get their certification would have been an obstruction of justice, that would have made it obstruction of justice? It would have proven the crime they charged. We would still have our unconstitutional vagueness argument, uh, but we think it's, it's maybe a harder argument in that context. But the jury didn't answer the key question in this case that the state says is the actual obstruction, and that's very broad. The state's position... So you're position, conceding that the mere, the mere uh, acquisition of this certi certification, which you were not, not otherwise entitled to, if that was proven, is enough to rise to the level of obstruction of justice? No, we're not conceding that. It sounded like you just did. So that's no, what, we, the, what they you charged... Said if the jury had found that, then that would have been enough. So it, it, it would have proven the, the same things that they charged. We still would say that's not obstruction of justice. It doesn't... Because obstruction needs to have some objective basis, we have an objective basis. In right, he violated that. He committed perjury. That's one of Blackstone's offenses. The state says, we know it when we see it. The U.S. Supreme Court has said, we do not rely on prosecutors using their power responsibly. I'll give you 30 seconds to wrap up. You Thank you. Your Honors, the, the, the U.S. Supreme, I'd ask, commend your Honors to, to look at Aguilar, which addresses a very similar federal statute, corruptly obstructing justice. They said, we have to limit it because otherwise there's a problem with vagueness. Corruptly is part of that statute. We have to limit it. This statute is so standardless because it relies on a pure opinion. It's not like all these other cases where we ask for reasonableness in a very limited context. This can be used against anybody who 12 people believe did something that shouldn't happen. They say allowing a crime to be committed is obstruction of justice. So a police officer that watches someone jaywalk has committed obstruction of justice if they don't intervene. That can't be the law. That's not the law, and the reason it's not is because we have these standards. We require objective standards, and there's not one here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, we'll take that under advisement. Thank you. We'll go uh, adjourn court and come back.